Good afternoon, everybody. I'm back. I know you missed me. I know Jonathan filled in last time, and he did an outstanding job because I watched it from my hotel room. So big shout out to Jonathan for filling in. David, how are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Awesome. Where in the world are you? I'm in Massachusetts this time, um, um, having because there's electricity here. <laughs> and there is not currently in, in New Orleans. And right, exactly. Prayers and thoughts out to everybody in New Orleans right now, but you are residing in Massachusetts, escaping the chaos and uh, staying safe. Glad to hear that. Yeah. So, uh, as we went live, um, we did get a, a notification that said we're having trouble streaming to Facebook. So, apologies to anyone on Facebook right now. Please come join us on uh, the YouTube channel on Deering, uh, or better yet, DeeringBanjos.com slash during live we are live on that part of the site as well um, hope to see you there but without further ado um this week's going to be fun uh, we've been looking forward to having uh, our guest this week on for quite some time um if you hadn't known from the emails and the exceptional promotion that we've all put out this week's guest is the wonderfully talented gina Furtado. Gina is an incredible banjo banjoist and a two-time ibma banjo player of the year nominee uh, many of you will know Gina from her four years with Chris Jones and the Night Drivers. She's currently releasing her own music with her own band, the Gina Furtado Project. Uh, she's now one of the most sought-after instructors at banjo camps across the U.S. Please welcome everybody, Miss Gina Furtado. Let's bring her in. There she uh, is. Hi. Just like that, by me. <laughs> hey, Gina, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks very, for having me. Cool. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. We're, we're stoked you can make it, and uh, welcome to Deering Live. Um, what's new? Busy week so far? Everything good? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's been pretty busy. We're, we're getting the, you know, the last little dribbles of Hurricane Ida. Now it's pouring rain here. It's been pouring all day. Oh, man. Um, so. Well, hopefully, hopefully it's just the last drizzles and, and nothing too more severe than that. But uh, yeah. stay safe out there. Um, in true Deering Life style, we, we'd love to invite you to play a little of a song to kind of kick things off for us. And then uh, Young Dave... Uh, is going to take over from there. Sounds good. Well, I, I've decided I want to kick off with one of my favorite Scruggs tunes, yeah. something upbeat, and this one is Farewell Blues. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> well, as, as you know, uh, watching some some other interviews of you trying to and uh, learning about your history about how you got started playing the banjo, I saw that you were first a piano player. Is that right? That is true. Yeah, when I was very young. So I don't I don't identify as a piano player at all. <laughs> I I mean I couldn't play anything if I sat down at one. But yeah, I started as um, a five year old doing the Suzuki method on piano and did that for a couple of years. Um, and it just, just wasn't for me. And so ended up discovering the banjo when I was around 10 or 11 and that was it. <laughs> and what Immediate was it? Switch. 
what was it? I saw that you, you said that you, you went to the Galax Festival and that's where you and, and your siblings too all kind of got into string band music. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And what yeah. was it about the music too at that time that just kind of captured all of you? Um, I think really, like certainly for me, I would say probably the same for my siblings was that, you know, we'd been doing this classical music, doing the Suzuki method, and it was all just so prim and proper and so like... I don't know, it just, I love classical music now, but it, it just, as kids, it's like, we wanted to have fun. So we went to the Galax Fiddlers Convention and, you know, people are partying and just like, you know, just doing crazy festival stuff and jamming long into the night, you know? And so that was just the appeal of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the community aspect was huge for me. Um, and of course the banjo just has this, certain certain aura about it you know it's just felt it felt kind of rebellious to me and <laughs> i was i was attracted to that <laughs> and, the loudest and, you know <laughs> yeah and you went the three finger route versus the claw hammer route um what why did you go that direction um i think honestly that just i love claw hammer banjo also but i think that just kind of fell into place because those are the people that we met first going to Galax, the friends that we made were bluegrass people. Um, so it just kind of made sense to try the bluegrass banjo. And then shortly after picking up the banjo, um, I discovered Murphy Henry, who lived not too far away. And so I was able to start taking some really great three-finger style banjo lessons with her. And that the Murphy method, uh, for, for those that don't know, is... is a learning by ear method. Um, and did you, I, I'm, I'm a fan of that versus, versus, you know, most tech, most of using tab. And uh, what do you think are the benefits, you know, the positives and negatives of, of going by ear versus learning by tab or, or other methods, you know, written materials? Sort of? I'm all about learning by ear, you know, in the context of bluegrass music, you're never almost ever going to play the same solo twice. You know, if you're out jamming, uh, you know, playing standard bluegrass music, I play the same solos twice in something that I've written and arranged, you know, a certain way. But like, yeah, you need to know how to improvise and come up with your own stuff. So I'm a huge advocate for just learning how to play by ear. Um, And so that's how I've always taught. Also, you know, I I teach without any tabs or anything like that. Um, And yeah, so... Yeah, I think in the context of bluegrass music, it just, it's what I think is going to work best for people. Mm-hmm. And and when you're teaching, because I know you teach a lot, um, and you're teaching by ear, and, and you come across some people that aren't getting it by ear, um, they're having trouble. How do you get them over that hump without using something written down? Um, I have to say, I have not had that problem with my students you know it's like I'll just start it super simple I'll teach it you know I'll break it down as into the tiniest little fragments if I have to but just memorizing three notes anyone can memorize three notes in a row and then so if you can memorize three notes in a row you can memorize six notes in a row you know add three more add three more um so yeah I I really haven't run into that I, I think that if you are running into that it's because you're trying to do something that's too much for you where you're at in your learning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, learning to improvise, that always seems so overwhelming to students. Um, 
you know, because it's just, there's so, you can always be doing more. You can always be doing cooler licks or whatever, but um, just take it baby, like tiny little baby steps and, and don't, don't try to do more than you're capable of. If you just have to roll, like literally one roll over a chord changes, so be it. Start with that and then build off of it. And did you ever have a teacher after after um, going the, the using the, the Murphy method? Did you ever have another teacher after that? That um, as you became more advanced, I um, live not terribly far, a couple hours from Mike Munford. So I took yeah. I took a handful of lessons from him as a teenager, um, and that helped a lot. You know, it just you know Murphy is straight up scrub style, which I think is an awesome foundation. But Mike is so about um, creativity and coming up with your own stuff, um, melodic style, which I really hadn't dabbled in too much. So he kind of like just gave me some pointers and, and sent me off in the right direction as far as that stuff goes. Yeah. Cause you're playing, you're playing, you play, you know, all the different styles and you have a lot of kind of gypsy jazz influence in some tunes I listen to. And it's not just, uh, it's not just straight ahead bluegrass all the time. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's interesting that you picked, Sounds like you picked a lot of that up on your own. Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of like the stuff that you hear me play, like on my recordings and stuff, it has to do with my writing more than my banjo playing style. Like if I, my, my, uh, home on the banjo is scrub style, but I like writing songs and I like writing tunes that might not have anything to do with scrub style banjo. You know, I, that's how I play the banjo, but that's not how I hear music. Um, just in a more broad sense. So I do like to write stuff that uh, isn't necessarily what I have, you know, developed as a strength on the banjo. And then I just have to learn it because I wrote it. <laughs> and have you always been writing tunes or is this new, more of a newer thing since you started, since you're leading your, your band, you know, the Gina Potter project? Um, I have definitely always written tunes and songs. Um, yeah, but it wasn't really until until I had my first album that I wanted to record that I started to use them for any real purpose. I, th I think I have, I played a handful of my written tunes with bands that I was playing with. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was, I had this whole pile of t tunes and songs that I'd written and that's kind of what motivated me to <clears throat> make the first album initially anyway. Um, it's just that I really, really wanted to hear them come to life and hear some of my favorite musicians playing on them. Um, and then once I got a little taste of that, I was like, man, this is fun. I like writing stuff and then and then arranging them and, um, you know, watching them become music. And do you write on the banjo or do you do you write on the guitar or another instrument sometimes? Um, totally depends, actually. But that's a that's an interesting question. I like hearing about other songwriters, like how, what, what instrument they're writing on. I would say it's like 50-50 and it just depends on what song is cropping up and um, kind of what it needs. A lot of the, a lot of the songs I write, I, I kind of tend to write it with like a signature riff. And so those I tend to do on the banjo because I'm not as good at doing that on the guitar. <laughs> so yeah, kind of both. And you kind of are you when you're writing, a, you know, a song, something with words, not instrumental. Um, are you more of a, a kind of a, a words person or a melody person or kind of a chord change thing first? What's kind of, or does it kind of mess around just what kind of 
Like I, I write it all at the same time. And that's something that I feel like is really, really important to me as a songwriter is like, it has to be at the same time because I feel like the way that we say things, the way that we would um, even just say a phrase, like we have some musicality in our voices. So I feel like when I say, like when I have a phrase that I kind of want to say or an idea, then simply saying it kind of gives clues me into how I want the melody to go. Cause like how I just said the melody to go, I went up on melody. Right. Um, so I kind of like, it just kind of guides me into figuring out both of them by doing them both at the same time. Do you fall, do you, I know for myself, sometimes when I'm writing tunes on the banjo, more instrumental tunes this time, mm -hmm. um, sometimes I can fall back into licks as opposed to a tune. Do you ever mm -hmm. have that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially if you're writing a more scrubsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I will say that my tunes, what I have been tending to write, is not the scrubsy stuff. So I have not had that issue so much most of the time, but I'm trying to think if I've written like a kind of scrub style tune. Can't really think of any. But yeah, it seems like when I, when I sit down to write, I'm just going for something totally different. So I haven't run into that as much, but I do know what you're talking about for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you sing a lot while you were playing the banjo and playing th for myself, playing three finger banjo and singing is, is tricky. Um, I can do it while playing guitar or playing tenor banjo or, you know, I'm using a flat pick yeah. or, or even claw hammer banjo, but three finger is, it's a different thing for me. Do you have, do you have that problem or do you simplify your playing a lot when you're singing? Um, I definitely simplify my playing a lot. Um, I'm not good at it. I am not good at keeping that driving sound going. Um, however, I do tend to, like when I'm singing, I, I tend to write and sing. Like My singing strength is more like swing style. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to do like more vampy chordy. Oops, I'm tuned down, but... this vampy chordy stuff which mm -hmm. is way easier to do on the banjo and and more conducive to what I'm singing anyway like this swing style stuff right and then also just having a, a solid solid band you know right. I'm so grateful for the band um, really really filling in that space that I I just simply can't hold down as well when I'm singing right do you want to play a tune for us? Another tune for us? Sure. Yeah, let's see. I'm going to go down to double C. It's my favorite tune. So this is one that I wrote a couple years ago. I've never done anything with it. Um, but I thought of it, I haven't, I've hardly ever played it really, but I thought of it again for today because when I wrote it, it was a rainy day. And I just remember saying like, oh, that's, yeah, that, that's that rainy day tune. And it's, it's the same weather today. So I'm going to play this one, the rainy day tune. Lou, you're going to have to move it. Come on, go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's you know totally different sound than than a bluegrass sound. It has more almost more of a claw hammer sort of thing going, or or even a, a finger picking guitar. I yeah I kind of live vicariously through clawhammer players um so I've tried to incorporate some of those sounds like in my into my uh finger picking playing and funny story because you were asking about my brother Victor before the the show started um Victor you know being an awesome clawhammer player for those of you that haven't heard of him you should look him up um, but I just remember when he was like 10 years old or so, and I would have been 20 or something, um, you know, I said, like, could you could you show me, like, show me what you're doing? I kind of want to have a lesson and learn. And he gave me like three minutes and he's like, nah, you'll never learn. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I came up with my own way to kind of get some of those sounds. <laughs> but yeah, I do this little cup kind of... Uh, you know, where you can go in between the two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And what tuning were you using there? Double C. Double C. Yeah. So like second string goes up to C, fourth goes down. Right. And do you use that? Do you use that a little bit? You know, it's not that common when you play three finger. It's more of a claw hammer tuning. Do you use it on other tunes? I use it pretty frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with stuff I write. Right. Um, I... You know, and when I was playing with Chris Jones, he has like a very low voice. So he did a lot of stuff in like the key of D, E, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up using double C quite a bit for that, just to give it a little variation. And um, yeah, I've always just thought it was a really pretty tuning. So I like, I like to use it whenever I can. Can you improvise all right in double C or are you is it mostly worked out? Not as well, not yeah. as well. I can come up with stuff, but. Yeah, um, I can come. I can come up with stuff, but it's not as not as fluent as regular standard tuning. Right. And are there other tunings that you use uh, often? Um, I use drop C, which is just the fourth string tuned down. Like that's what I did with Farewell Blues. Mm -hmm. um, but not much. I don't. I I have occasionally used D tuning. Um, hardly okay. ever though. Just a couple tunes. Like open detuning, not double detuning. Yeah, yeah. open detuning. Right. And do you, when you do detuning, do you bring the fifth string down to F sharp or do you bring it up to A? I usually bring it up to A. Yeah. You, you just like that higher sound? You know, honestly, I think I've done it for simplicity. Like if we're on stage, I'm right. way more likely to be spiked up to A rather than <laughs> just one more string to have to tune right. <laughs> and mess with. Well, going back to your kind of your roots a little more, um, you had a family band. Was it called the Puny Pickers? Sure was. <laughs> <laughs> Every time that comes up, uh, you know, yeah, I get in trouble if I admit it by my siblings. Why did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw, I, I heard that you you bust a fair amount. I'm just curious if that. I know a number of you know, of good good. Um, musicians you know spend a lot of time busking and did that improve not just your musicianship your technical abilities from playing a lot but your performance abilities of like able to entertain um so when we busked we were not entertaining we were like <laughs> we we're just like we got asked all the time how come you're never smiling you know but we just like stood there and just played our instruments but yeah. as far as improving technically yeah i mean we would bust for 
many hours on weekends, you know, we'd go to the boardwalk at the beach and Alex, um, Alexandria, like near DC, there's good tourist people right. out there. And yeah, we bus for hours and hours and definitely, definitely got in a lot of practice on our instruments. And, you know, something that I think was particularly beneficial about that was just that even if we, you know, even if we're just busking and people are walking by, it's still a performance in the sense that you, you can't stop when you make a mistake. Right. So we pra we got a lot of practice as a band. Like, what do you do when you make a mistake? And this is like early in our, you know, early in our, you know, life as performers at all. Like maybe we'd been, I'd been playing banjo like maybe a year or two when we started doing this. Right. Um, so getting that opportunity to just like, yeah, keep on trucking, you figure out what to do when you make a mistake. How old were you about now at this time? Um, I was probably like 12 or so, <laughs> maybe 13. Yeah. I was the <laughs> oldest in the band. I was the oldest of us kids, and then my dad came along and played sometimes with us. But yeah, the others, so they were younger, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess my sister Malia, um, she's a couple of, you know, she would have been like nine. And then Christina <laughs> was the youngest, and she probably was like eight years old playing the bass. <laughs> she had a wash tub bass for quite a while <laughs> in the busking days. You must have made some money just from the cute factor. Oh, yeah. People bought us ice cream. People <laughs> bought us a pass to Ripley's, believe it or not, on the boardwalk. <laughs> we got a lot of free stuff. <laughs> cool. Now, um, I also, also uh, saw that you took a fair amount of a break from playing um, as you became a young adult and then, mm -hmm. and then came back to it. How hard was it um, coming back to the five-string banjo? Because it's such a technical style of playing music, the three finger style. And yeah. um, did you, was it frust, did you have problems initially coming back and was it frustrating at all? Did your, cause your skills might've dropped off a little bit. Um, well, so what I ended up, like I ended up getting a gig with a band that was a party band. It was called Buds Collective. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that was similar to the busking. We would just play for hours at parties mm -hmm. and people not really paying that close attention. So it was great. Like, you know, I don't remember feeling, I remember actually at the beginning feeling like I couldn't, you know, like I wasn't keeping up well, um, but it didn't last long. You know, I just, we played just so many parties, weekend parties for hours and hours. And, right. and we did a lot of different styles. You know, we were playing at weddings mm -hmm. all the time. So we learned a lot of different like pop songs, country songs, whatever needed. So it gave me a lot of practice in, in that department as well, just kind of expanding, figuring stuff out. It's so. uh, it, playing, you know, just playing with people a lot, you know, really can improve your, your, um, your playing abilities just because you're mm -hmm. doing it a lot. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And trying to say, all right, I need to practice another two hours. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's what one of my, like, uh, one of my biggest like hopes for, I'm not teaching privately anymore at the moment, but for all my students, when I, whenever I'm teaching people, it's like, I want to encourage everyone just like, you're never going to feel totally ready. You're never going to feel totally ready to be in a band or being out there and performing, but you just have to do it if you want to get better. Mm -hmm. Get out there and jam. I don't care if you're sitting in the corner and not doing much of anything at all, but like that is that is the number one way to improve. Yeah, yeah. And really learn how to play. And uh, 
Tell us about how you got the gig with uh, Chris Jones and the Night Drivers and how you, this was your first real national professional gig, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of a funny story because I'd been, you know, like I said, I was playing with this party band and that was fun. I had a great time for a while. Um, but again, it was like, we're playing like pop songs and stuff that I wasn't particularly interested in. Um, and people weren't particularly paying attention to us because we were just hired for the party, you know? And so I eventually just really wanted to make some music that was thought out, really arranged. Um, and I called all these people. I called like Frank Sullivan. I called oh, just anyone that I could, John Weisberger, it was one of them and he plays with Chris and that's how I got that gig. But anyone that I had even like just barely brushed shoulders with at a festival, I called him and said like, I don't know if you remember me, but like I opened for you like way like three years ago, like at this festival or whatever. And I'm looking for another gig. So if you know of anyone looking for a banjo player, <laughs> um, very like I felt so vulnerable and awkward doing that. But I'm so glad I did because then ended up working out so well with Chris and really learned a lot with them and got to meet everybody on the, you know, the national touring scene. <laughs> I love these stories. <laughs> People have, it was, it was so have no, no shame and just going I, on. Well, I did, did have shame. I was just like, oh my gosh. I was like, so, so awkward. <laughs> I really wanted to do it. So but when it works out, it's good. It's good. Pretty um, sure I told, I told, I guess I won't mention any names, but I did tell one of the uh, bands, like, I, you know, I'll, ch I'll check the oil on the car at pit stops. Like, I'll do stuff like that too. <laughs> You gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, I'm like I'm a good band member. <laughs> right. So yeah. what you what was it like like playing those first few gigs and uh, and how'd you get all that material because they've been playing for a long time? How'd you get their material together and 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 what what you learn from that experience just playing with them for a number of years? Oh man, I learned a lot. But I would, going back to kind of the beginning of it. You know, they are all totally spread out. Chris lives in northern Alberta. John's in Nashville. Um, well, that was the configuration at the time, John. And then Mark lives in Illinois. Um, so we really didn't get a chance to even do, like, a triad or anything. Um, I guess they just went on my recordings that they had heard before. And Chris just sent me a bunch of tunes, a bunch of songs, a set list, you know, and as many recordings as he could. And I learned them, and then the first gig was at the Station Inn, um, which I was, like, panicking about. <laughs> and who should show up but Ron Block? Like, Chris is like, Ron's going to guest with us. Ron who? Ron Block. And I was okay. <laughs> Rob Ikes got up and played. Just all these, like, people that, like, um, I was totally starstruck. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Chris was just so laid back and so patient. Like he was, it was he made it easy, you know, the whole band, they're just easy going and really, really forgiving. If I made any mistakes, they were totally, didn't bat an eye. Um, but yeah, just touring around with them, I learned, I just learned a lot about how to, I don't know, I guess how to tour, you know, there's just practical things that you have to learn about, you know, um, just as far as logistics, you know, basic things like that are non-related to music even. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so. how'd you get through that you said you're you're nervous how'd you get through that playing wise did you have you know any 
like shaking going on or just like you know the banjo again it's the technical <laughs> and it's and it picks up everything when you're when you're playing and it's not really functioning as it your hand as it should yeah tricky um did you do you have ways to get through moments like that um um yeah you know and it's similar to what i was saying about improvising if I if I am like in a like a state like when I'm feeling more nervous or something, I'm just gonna play something a little more simple. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try to pull out your best tricks, or you're probably gonna crash and burn. Um, yeah, so just keeping it more simple. <clears throat> People are are going to prefer to hear a solid, clean, you know, right on time solo than something flashy that that's obviously like kind of falling apart. Um, yeah, so that's that's my best trick for sure. And then also, you can always just back away from that microphone, act like it's the sound guy's fault. <laughs> <laughs> and so. and then moving out onto your own, you, was this the first time? Did you have you always sung in bands? Mm-mm. Oh, no, wow. that, that was another thing too. Where it was like maybe we were talking. I think we were talking about this before the show started. How I started writing stuff. Um, and I decided I wanted to record it just so I could see it come to life. I really wanted to see it come to life, but, um, I couldn't pitch it to any of the bands. It just felt like not anyone's style because it's most of the stuff I write is kind of tends towards like swingy stuff. So I was like, I just guess I gotta just learn how to sing. So I kind of sang for the first time on my first recording. Uh, talk about nervous that was that's nerve-wracking to be in a little studio booth where everybody in like the control room can hear every little thing wrong right um but you just get used to it you know now i feel like it's like okay i know it's gonna sound not exactly the way i want it to you know and i'm still learning how to sing but it's like i go in there and i'm like just do my best and whatever you know just take take what i can get that takes you know it takes a lot of courage to, to, to just jump start singing as after uh, after you've already, you know, have a kind of career going and and then to record it too. For sure. <laughs> One yeah, thing to play is really sing hard. live and kind of keep back away do the back away from the microphone trick. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I've actually I've really enjoyed it. You know, I don't feel like singing is like necessarily my forte, mm-hmm. but I just enjoy it. And I like writing songs and being able to sing them and put in my own inflection and um yeah, so it's been really fun. And now with my current band configuration with my two sisters singing backup, it's like really, really fun. Right. So they get the harmonies and it's all nice and tight and yeah, super fun. And how did you practice singing when you first were trying? Were you practicing hitting pitches, matching it to the to your instrument or, just, you know, are we just going for it kind of? I, I don't think, I never really had that issue of like not singing on pitch I could always do that but the hard part for me was and still is is like just having a good strong voice like having a good range um so learning some like actual like technical skills so I did actually take a few lessons with Dee Dee Wyland and she was able to give me some pointers like you know the deep deep breathing um and using certain muscles um that stuff is really important and did not come naturally to me. So that was the hardest part. And I, I would practice that just in my car or whatever, um, practicing the songs that I was planning on putting in the set. <laughs> so. 
Well, do you want to play another tune now? Sure. Yeah, let's see. Um, so I'm going to play another one in double C. And this one is um, one that I wrote for my daughter who passed away. And it was 10 years ago. Little baby daughter. And very soon after, Tom Minty from Patuxent Records put together the Patuxent Banjo Project which is an amazing, amazing, it's double album, um, and features 40 plus, I think there's 41 banjo players from the DC area. So super amazing. Like I, didn't, I wasn't even aware there were so many banjo players here that were so good, but Mike Munford's on there, Russ Carson from uh, Ricky Skaggs band. Um, let's see, Murphy and Casey Henry were both on there. Mm -hmm. Um, Brennan Ernst is amazing. Anyway, 41 banjo players. Mark Schatz played a tune, Clawhammer style. Both Victor and I were on there. So anyhow, this one is recorded um, on that Patuxent banjo project and it's called Phoebe's Lullaby. heavy slower slower tunes like that um the, the, you know the banjo doesn't get used enough like that and it has such great resonance um, mm -hmm. yeah. i agree yeah especially yeah. deering's own jens kruger <laughs> does a lot of that stuff <laughs> he, exactly he's a master of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um we have some questions in the chat people are asking if you're doing any banjo camps coming up you know what? I don't 
think I'm booked on anything coming up. I was going to do, yeah, I'm not on anything coming up. I think COVID kind of stalled a lot scared of people. Yeah. yeah. And then um, somebody in the chat was saying. Oh, you know what? <sighs> Correction. I am on one. Sorry. Yeah. I'm on one in just a few weeks for Watermelon Pickers Fest, which is right, right in my area. Um, and so that's like a little mini camp. It's two or three days. Um, Derek Kretzer and I are going to be teaching. So, yeah. So that's in Berryville, Virginia. Okay. Um, we have Carol Rehack in uh, saying that she attended the Midwest Banjo Camp in 2021, and you're a terrific instructor, and she picked up a bunch of new jamming techniques from her, oh, good. From her track. And are there some of those techniques you could one, maybe just one technique or something that you could share with us here? Sure, yeah. Let me get back in standard tuning. So this is how I would suggest brand new, you know, brand new starter, like beginner improvisers <laughs> to try to get started on improvising. And it's just to get, first of all, super, super familiar with the fretboard. So learn how to identify the chords on the fretboard. And the way that I do that, there's different methods for finding it, but I do this easy counting method where it's like, if you have a bar shape, so think of that first, you know, the nut is a bar G chord. If you have a bar chord, then you're gonna count up one, two, three, four, five, and then go to the F shape vamp chord, and that's your next G chord on the fretboard. So bar is up five to the F shape. And that's any bar to any F shape is gonna be count up five. Doesn't matter what major chord it's gonna be. If you have an F shape, count up one, two, three, four, flip it to a D shape, and that's your next version of that chord. So that's a D shape G chord. And then anytime you have a D shape, count up one, two, three, go to the bar shape. And then you can start the cycle all over. So that, you know, that's, that's how you find all the major chords on the fretboard. You can go, um, you know, start it at a bar shape A. And if you've got that, then you know the next A chord is one, two, three, four, five, go to the F shape. One, two, three, four, go to the D shape. One, two, three, go to the bar shape again. So forth and so on. So if you can get super, super familiar with the chord shapes on the fretboard, then pare it down to just the first and second string of those chords. So if you have an F-shaped G chord like this, then you're just gonna pare it down to the first and second string like this and do like a Foggy Mountain Breakdown roll. And if you can just roll through um, each version of the chords like that, so if you, let's say you're gonna go from the F-shape to the D-shape to the bar-shape G, just, just using the two, um, the first and second string and the foggy mind breakdown roll like this. So forth and so on. If you can learn to do that, just simply that sequence on G, C, and D, then you can just like flip flop as the, as the chord changes from G to C to D in whatever song, most standard bluegrass songs that you would be beginning to improvise on would be that. Then you can just come up with a solo like that. So it would sound something like this. If you put together, um, let's say two versions of each chord shape for each chord change. So it would be two Gs, this one, this one, and then two Cs, here's a bar shape C. I'm gonna do the top two strings. 
And then here's an F shaped C, do the top two strings, and then the same for D. So it would sound something like this. And I just threw in a little up the neck tag, like you can build off of that, but that's where I would start, is just getting good at two finger versions of up the neck chords, and then you can embellish on that as you as you want. I don't want to go too far into that. I could talk about it a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier though. Definitely. Get started. And and those those two finger chords, because a lot of that scrub style is just those top two strings going up the Exactly, neck. yeah. So don't burden yourself with fretting everything else if you don't need to. Right. Can you slowly, quickly go th just show us what the Foggy Mountain uh, banjo, Foggy Mountain Breakdown Roll is? Sure. Yeah. So that is, I'm going to play it really slow, just open, and it sounds like this. <laughs> And the roll is two, one. I'm gonna pick that with index and then middle. Two, one. And then you're gonna play two, one, five, but this time play the two with your thumb. That's how you're gonna get that good drive. So you'll play two, one with middle, five with thumb. So this is what you have so far. And then the last little bit is two, one, five, once again, but this time you're gonna play the two with index. Two, one, five. So the full roll, once again, sounds like this. Two, one, two, one, five, two, one, five. Yeah, there you go. So it's a group of two and then two groups of three. Yes. Yeah, and switching out your thumb, thumb and index for the second string. Right, especially when you're bringing that up to speed, that really, that's yeah. that really helps. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have Joseph Brosk, a regular on on, on during attendee on during live. He's asking, I work with tabs, but try to abandon them as as soon as possible as I learn a new song. If I wanted to play more by ear and less by tab, are there any exercises I should do to train my ear? Um, so I would, I would just try to pick some simple roll, like some simple, um, chord progressions. And I'm a big, I really love this app called Strum Machine, or it's not an Apple website, Strum Machine. Probably most students have heard of it because it's pretty popular. Um, but you can just pick a tune, say, you know, Blue Ridge Cabin Home, pick a tempo and pick, um, a key that you want to try it in. So try it in like a couple different keys and just try, start it with just rolling over it. And then see, see if you can throw in one single lick. If you're rolling over G, C, and D, see if you can throw in one lick on G, one lick on C, one lick on D. And get really good at those and then sub, sub it out with a different lick on G, different lick on C, different lick on D. And then eventually, you know, you just kind of build your stash and really scrub style playing is just a whole bunch of, you know, either a, fragments of licks or, or memorized licks that you just string together. But yeah, I would just pick some roll uh, chord progressions and just roll with them. Okay, um, fantastic. Um, Jamie, are the, we have another chat going. Do you want to come in if there's other questions I'm missing? 
Sorry, I was frantically typing in the chat room there. <laughs> you do it. Nice matching shirt, by the way, Dave. Highlight yeah, uh, yeah. that for the audience. Yeah, so a couple. Um, I've got, I have a couple, and there's a couple in the chat. So uh, Miriam writes uh, in response to your beautiful song, Phoebe's Lullaby. That was wonderful, by the way. Really enjoyed Thank that. Um, Love the song that you just played. Do you offer sheet music of it? Is there is there like a tab or something that exists? I don't it? have. I don't have any tabs of it. I'm sorry. I've, I hesitated because somebody made tabs for it at one point, and I can't remember who it was. Uh, it's out there somewhere. You can maybe Google search it. It might, so it might come up. I don't know. Deep Google search might, yeah. uh, might just be where you want to be. Yeah. Banjo Hangout. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure somebody on Banjo Hangout has, uh, has something, yeah. Um, and then uh, Tom uh, asks, uh, pretty generally, like any advice for beginners? I know you kind of just touched on uh, the jamming and you're know, getting into improvisation a little bit as well. But just as far as someone picking up the banjo, uh, maybe for the first time, um, any any memories of what key things that you would pass on to to new players? Um, I would I would say invest in a really good teacher. And I'm not trying to get new students because I'm not taking new students right now, but it's worth it to get a teacher who's going to really, really know what they're doing. Don't just go to the local music store and, you know, and take them from the first guy there because, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like guitar players who can kind of get by on a banjo, but try to find someone who really knows what they're doing and, and that'll, that'll really, really be worth, worth it. Get yeah. you started on the right foot. I think as well, like to add to that, if I may, like once you've found a teacher, like I think a lot of people get caught up because again, like they go to the local music store and they, they kind of just settle a little bit, and maybe because they mm -hmm. don't, they don't know what else they need or what else is out there as as, a, mm -hmm. as an option. Don't limit yourself to in person. Like if if you feel yeah. like you're not getting what you want out of a teacher of any kind, like there's a million different options. You you might be on Zoom, but you're going to get a much better experience potentially. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Don't go for, for in person just because that's, yeah, that's your preference. Like, yeah, that's definitely everyone's preference, but it's better to go with a teacher who knows what they're doing mm -hmm. and do it online. Yeah. Um, it's a tiny bit of a learning curve, but really everybody, everybody can do it. It's not hard to, to start, you know, doing it on zoom or whatever. Especially now technology is such that it, it's a lot easier than it was even, even two years ago, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we've been almost forced into it, but you're right. Like finding a good teacher that's going to get you where you want to go is, is key. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned earlier on, you were talking about the busking side. I was curious. I've done a lot of busking as well. And I mean, it's like the <laughs> ultimate rejection experience in a way. Like there's so much, like there's no one's going to pay. No one cares that you're there. They're just going about their day and right. there's, some, there's some heckling and stuff. And it's just, you've got to kind of deal with the, with it, with the crap that comes with it. Like, do you feel like, did you have that same experience? Uh, on the busking scene, um, Jens talks about it a lot too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've heard his, like some of his interviews about busking, which is pretty interesting. He spent years busking. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, I feel like just the fact that you're playing on the street lowers your audience's view of your musicianship. <laughs> you know, like yeah. just the fact that you're on the street, it's almost it makes you look bad. So you get yeah, you do get that feeling of rejection a whole lot more than if you're on a stage. Yeah, um, I, I've certainly had things thrown and stuff. It <laughs> doesn't speak much to my, <laughs> my personal <laughs> musical talent, but yeah, you know, just just general heckling and stuff. And you just you feel you feel a little deflated at the end of the day. You got you got to learn to step up your your routine. 
Yeah. Yeah, and there's some, you know, some shop owners or whatever that don't want you playing in front of their shop. And, um, yeah, I don't think we ever had stuff thrown at us, but probably because we were just kids and they didn't <laughs> think that was appropriate. But, that's, that's <laughs> but yeah, busking, busking is tough. <laughs> don't, I don't necessarily recommend it, but... It is great, great practice. <laughs> it's definitely practice. Yeah, and yeah. You just got to, you got to, you got to fight through the, uh, the craziness. But you also, you were, you were doing it with your, your siblings as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was curious, like, just kind of. I know David mentioned you had the family band and everything, but um, what was that dynamic like between all of you? Because how, how many? <laughs> you really want to know? Were, there were. Um, <laughs> I mean, we were kids. We were like typical siblings, yeah. like bickering. You know, like. <laughs> you kicked off Foggy Mountain Special too fast. You know, like all that, all that stuff that you would imagine from kids um, yeah. and just trying to hide it because we're like somewhat on stage, you know, somewhat on the, in the eye of the public. Um, but it was, it was fun. You know, I would say like playing with, with my siblings was a good experience, you know. Um, certainly an amazing experience because we got to practice with another person so much more than your typical student does because we were mm. always there. I feel like that made a big difference. Um, but yeah, as far as like the dynamic on stage, that was interesting, you know, because I remember as I got older, I was the oldest of us kids. I got older and I started to get a little more serious about like wanting to put on a good show and wanting to look nice on stage and, um, you know, wanting to try like different tune, different. We did some cheesy like pop covers of you know of our, my time, <laughs> sure. the things that my friends were listening to, and 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 I remember that was that brought about a strange dynamic because my siblings were like they still wanted to play Rawhide and and uh, you know they were still so much younger. You know, just a couple years makes a big difference at that age. So yeah, there was some kind of like difference in in. Uh, wanting to look professional and different than just wanting to to shred on the longer tunes and <laughs> yeah. it was it was fun though yeah it was it was good it's awesome it's it's really cool i mean i think was it bluegrass today or, or maybe banishing newsletter i think described you guys as absurdly talented i know i like that like, that's yeah, what that i'll never cool. like, and, and you have several siblings <laughs> in your band right now right yeah is it two of your sisters so i'm yep, assuming you didn't sisters. all fall out busking you you managed to retain <laughs> that that sibling relationship and <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> yeah so i have my sister malia on fiddle and she is amazing she is such a good fiddle player and Lou plays bass, and she's totally awesome on bass, too. Great singer. They're both amazing singers. That's so, awesome. um, yeah, so it's, that's been a ton of fun, is playing with my sisters, which was, I hadn't planned on it when I started the band. I was like, you know, it just kind of happened. And do you awesome. do most of the songwriting in the, in the, in the project? Yeah, uh, and yeah, I write all the songs, and I okay. book all the gigs, and I pay everybody, and... <laughs> So you're, you're, you are the band and everyone else just follows yeah, you. Yeah, 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 for That's sure. Awesome. And, and you have kids, are they into music? Do they play? No, they're really not. They're not into it. I mean, it, to them it's like they want to be independent. They want to be different from me, you know, so I'm not pushing it at all. I had sure. my one son, my middle son, Max, tried to play fiddle for a while and, you know, he got lost interest and I'm not, not pushing it on him at all. So, yeah. That's perfect. yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, just checking the chat. Let me just check on this side too. Strum Machine, I will say, uh, is getting a ton of love. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I'm not familiar with it. Is it? It's a phone app. No, it's a website. It's a web yeah, app. it's a website, um, yeah. and it's just like 
rhythm tracks, guitar rhythm to like almost any bluegrass song that you can think of. So great, great for students to practice with. Yeah. Uh, Lara's saying that this, the speed up function is is great. So I'm assuming you kind of change the tempo and kind of increase your speed and dexterity. Yep, you can increase the tempo. You can change keys, so you can practice. You know, transcribing stuff to different keys if you want to try that. It's totally awesome. When I was when I was teaching, you could tell a difference with the students that used it <laughs> and the ones that didn't. You know, yeah. Is it subscription based? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's like I think five bucks or so to five bucks a month maybe, but totally worth it. Okay. Sounds reasonable for what it can do. I wish I had stuff like that growing up and mm -hmm. uh, jump on. That's cool. Uh, right. Well, I think I think we're nearly at the end. A uh, lot of a lot of people just saying thank you. You know, for, for thank you to everybody and thank you guys. Yeah. No, this is awesome. Uh, Joseph has a busy day tomorrow. Uh, looking at all of your tidbits and other videos on YouTube. So uh, he just discovered those while we've been on air. So that's oh, cool. Awesome. <laughs> um, Great. Any final words of wisdom, thoughts you want to share with the world? I don't know. I don't, I don't know you? if I have any words of wisdom. Okay. <laughs> Just thank you so much for having me. It's, I wish I could see everybody here because, you know, it's nice to see people's faces, but I'm really glad everyone's here regardless. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're, we're headed out to uh, Melfest in two weeks. Yeah, two weeks today. Uh, we're flying oh, out. Wow. So, I mean, Dave, you did Rocky Grass earlier in the year. Melfest will be my first festival of the year uh, and probably only. So it's all a bit weird still, but kind of looking yeah. forward to seeing some actual human faces. So yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a, a wonderful place to wrap up. Um, do you want to play us out with a little? Sure. Song? Yeah, I can play oh, a tune. Let's see. Yeah. I think I'll play another um, kind of. I'm going to play a traditional tune. I'm going to play one called "Cold Frosty Morning." Just Ooh, happens to be awesome. one of my favorites. Thank you so much for joining us. And for everyone watching, you can go ahead and, and tune into the, uh, all the other episodes, DeeringBanjos.com forward slash Deering Live. I do know that the Kruger Brothers are hosting their Kruger's World of Music in about five minutes. So if you have time, go check them out as well because we love those guys too. But Gina, thank you so, so much. You have been awesome. Um, real Thanks for having to me. To. And, real pleasure. Uh, look forward to hearing this song. Yeah. All right. Have a great night. <laughs> Thank you.